This summer we're going to be reading through the prophets in the Bible, uh, and it is a very diverse group of people, the, the writing style and who they were. So, for example, Isaiah was a prophet who was involved in the king's court, so he had access to a lot of the higher echelons of society. The prophet we're going to be looking at today is named Amos, and he was a shepherd, which was considered one of the lower people in society. He was a fig tree farmer, he calls himself, and he is a very forceful guy. So in this, as we go through this whirlwind tour of different prophets, they're all going to be very different people, which is interesting. Not, we can't categorize them just as being one certain type. Uh, but we're, as we do that, we're going to be going through it in maybe a different order than what is in your Bible. In your Bible, the, the way that the books are arranged is mostly by uh, length and also by theme or, or style uh, of writing. So poetry gets put together, all the prophets get put together. But we're not going to go in the order that it is in your Bible. We're going to be actually following a more chronological order. So your Bible, as it's given to you, is not in chronological order. Even if it starts with Genesis and ends with Revelation, the rest in between can get a, is in a bit different order. But as we go through the prophets, we're going to be handling them in somewhat of a chronological order of when they were preaching to the people. And so these prophets were, were sometimes itinerant preachers, sometimes in one place. Sometimes it was for a very short period of time. Sometimes, like Isaiah, over a long, long time, over decades. Uh, but So it's a very different, each of them are very different, and we're going to try to get into that as we discuss. This is a whirlwind tour as we go through all of these prophets and read. I hope that you will be reading along with us. Grab one of these uh, prophets' books, and you can read along with us in the order that's on there, and it has um, all the the readings that you're supposed to do each day. We're doing the 16-week reading, just so you are on the right one, or if you're listening to it, you do the right one. These books, they take place mostly during the time period of First and Second Kings. So if you were with us when we went through the, the kingdoms portion, there, there's that First and Second Kings focuses mostly on kind of the political side, focuses on who the kings were in the courts. These people then are going to be speaking during those times. And so you may recognize, if you're familiar with Scripture, uh, but even just for you, even if you're completely new to this, just so you know that there, were, there was kind of a list of kings in another place, and these prophets are, are interspersed in their speaking to those people. They are a grassroots movement of people, usually, speaking on God's behalf to power, speaking to the people, and it does not, and usually does not, make them very popular. They, it, what a terrible job description would be to be a prophet <laughs> at that time. So we're starting with this book of Amos. It's relatively short, definitely packs an oversized punch. We have to admit, though, that as we get into these different uh, prophets, that there are a few hurdles for us as 21st century people reading these things. First and foremost, we need to remember, as we're reading this, that they were speaking primarily to people of their day. We're going to seek to apply what they're saying, uh, but we're going to have to hold off on jumping to the present day as we read it and understand what they were saying to the people of their day. Uh, Before anything else, they are making a social and spiritual commentary to their own culture. They're they're critiquing people in their world. Uh, One writer says that um, when we we get to the prophets specifically, but kind of the Old Testament in general, that it's not really fast food. 
I think that was really helpful. That sometimes it takes a little more time to digest what's going on, to be able to, to appreciate what is happening there. You can't just uh, open a verse and apply that one thing and, you know, just stick your finger down and say, oh, that speaks to me today. Uh, it, you're going to have to process things because sometimes it's a longer narrative. Maybe there's a, 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 a bigger argument that's being made. And so we're going to have to remember that. They're trying to speak to the social conditions of their day. Uh, so one of the things that's going to help you to do that is don't skip the introductions to each of the different chapters and each of the different books. The introductions are going to give you some really good historical background and kind of orient you to some of the themes that you're going to read in each, in, in each book. If you read that page for Amos, you would have read a little bit more about the world that Amos lived in. He lived um, after the split between the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. It had been united under Saul and David and Solomon and then had split into two kingdoms with ten of the tribes going to the north and two to the south. And Judah was always kind of the smaller, more faithful one. Israel was the larger, more powerful, but less faithful northern kingdom. Uh, so they, in the north, they were in a period where there's a guy named Jeroboam II, and they were experiencing a lot of military victories. They, were, uh, they had some peace. Their wealth was growing. Life was pretty good. But what Amos is going to say, there's a lot of people who were not winning during that time. There were people who were uh, marginalized, who were oppressed, and they are... Not, they are uh, in the process of, of oppressing those people. They're also neglecting God. And he's going to link those two things. All right, second hurdle for us as we come to it. So our first hurdle is we need to remember it's not specifically, it's, it's written for us, it's useful for us, but it wasn't written to us. And, and that's, a, that's a helpful distinction. We, we can l glean things from it, but it wasn't originally written to us. Second thing is that uh, we're going to need to get past the hurdle of the style that prophets use. Uh, it's different from literature that we have today. We don't write like this in general. Uh, and I'll just add to that, there also are lots of place names that don't necessarily mean a lot to us. And that means that when we go through this, there's going to be times where the, the style might feel a little foreign to you. And the place names aren't going to necessarily evoke an emotional response for you like they would have done for people, that, the original people who heard this. So an example is at the beginning of the book of Amos, uh, he, it has both of those elements together where it's the style and the places, and it doesn't necessarily hit us in the same way. He begins by talking about the judgment that's coming to Israel's neighbors. So this guy, uh, Amos, was from the southern kingdom, and he had gone up to the northern kingdom, and they, some of the people at some point say, why don't you just go back home and stop telling us this stuff? Uh, but he, he comes up there, and he's talking about the judgment of all the nations around and what it does is it kind of does this, this spiral, a, a, a closing-in spiral of all the nations around them, ending with Israel itself. He says, you know, listen, you, you're not going to be spared God's judgment just because you're God's people, Israel and Judah. It talks to both of them. It, but that didn't hit quite as hard, maybe, as if it, it had been written to us. And, and we can imagine in our world, it would have said something like, hey, Iran, God is speaking to you, and the way that your uh, government is, is oppressive, and he would speak about some of the, the sins that are there. Russia, this is how you are speaking. And, and so you can see it's starting to move closer. China, listen, for your sins, God is going to overturn you and your government. Venezuela, the way that you act, God has sees what's happening and how you're oppressing people. It's Canada, 
I have sins against you. What are Canada's sins? Anyway, so Canada, your sins. God is going to overturn you. Mexico, God is, is, is seeing you. He knows what's happening here. And USA. And so the punch ends at the end where it would come to us in America. You, America, you are going to be overthrown. Your government can't last because of your sins. And you think, well, yeah, all the other people, but not us. And that's the way that it's supposed to feel for the first recipients of Amos. And they're like, when they're talking about all these other people who had been fighting them, they're like, yeah, those guys, Edomites, bah, we don't like those guys, right? They have done all these terrible things. So it's easy for us to go, yeah, 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 no, right? So that's, that's the way, so, so that is helpful for us to see that the style and the places are supposed to evoke those kind of feelings. The third hurdle for us as we read this and listen to it is actually the same hurdle that the first recipients of had this uh, first recipients of this had. And that hurdle is that God says things that we don't want to hear. Ooh. Our temptation when we hear things that we don't want to hear is to stop listening. Kind of go someplace else to go where people will tell us to dismiss we, they'll tell us what we want to hear, to dismiss the prophet as just being crazy or maybe having a political bias or something like that. But they're bringing news, these prophets, that, that the people were not hoping to hear, maybe not even expecting to hear, but they need to hear it. And the prophets were motivated by God. God is saying, you need to speak these things. And you need to speak to people boldly. And I think that some of these things are going to tie to us. He says, you need to speak boldly to them because they've lost a love for their neighbors. And they use people as commodities. They, they love money and comfort more than worshiping God. They're, they're afraid of the aggression of their foreign neighbors. And they're facing a tumultuous political system. And they long for God's peace. But they try to fill that peace in a bad way. So the prophets still have some uncomfortable things to say, not only to those people, but I think that we share some of those same feelings, those same themes in our lives. And so I want, us to, challenge, I want to challenge all of us from the beginning as we read through these books of the prophets to, to stretch ourselves to say, I, I'm going to try to listen to God in this. So that final hurdle is this, our, it's our sinful heart. We want to resist God's work in our lives. Because you and I, if we, if, we don't sh if we shut our ears, if we shut our ears, if we don't listen to God, 100% guarantee, um, if, we, if, we, if we don't shut our ears to what God has to say, we're going to hear things that we don't want to hear. So the guarantee is, if we're listening, if we're paying attention, we are going to hear things that we don't want to hear. And it's going to challenge the way that we see the world. It's going to challenge the way that we see ourselves, challenge the way that we are seeing what our calling is to act in the world. So the question is, are we going to just blow off these prophets and not listen to them and kind of continue life as we always have? Or are we going to try to listen to what God has to say, even if it's not very easy? And it's not going to be easy because these prophets are troublemakers, purposeful troublemakers. They're, they're purposely trying to stir the pot. They're purposely trying to wake people up. And it's not, we don't want to be awaken, uh, awakened. So what are they waking us up from? The prophets are pointing out that there's this disparity between who we are supposed to be, who we are called to be, and who we are, and how we act, and how we live, what we think. 
So there, we, there is, the prophets are just saying there's a gap between those two things and, and pointing it out. And they're going to do it in the hopes that people will turn back to God. In the hopes of waking people up. And sometimes they're going to say it in shocking ways. Sometimes they're going to use really colorful metaphors. Uh, a few of the images uh, that we read in the book of Amos, where uh, he talks about God being a kindling fire. This God is this fire. Uh, he says that the people are like a bowl of overripe fruit. That was pretty great. Uh, he says that, that God is holding a plumb line, you know, a plumb line where there's a weight at the end of a line. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to measure to see if you are straight. And you are not. You are crooked. You are crooked, and the, and the plumb line shows it. And it doesn't matter what your pedigree is. You're not acting in the way that you're supposed to. So keep your eyes peeled, I would say, as you're reading through this, to, to hear that kind of colorful language as you're reading through it. With The idea is that it's supposed to shake people. Sometimes the prophets will even act things out. Uh, there's one that, who will wrap a belt around his arms. Uh, to, uh, so they act out things to try to catch people's attention. All right, I want to hear from a couple of you. Uh, what were the things that you read? If you read in Amos this week, what were some of the accusations that God uses his prophet to speak out against? What were some of the things? Uh, so I would love to hear from the group. What were some of the things that he, uh, God uses Amos to speak out against? Oppression. Others. You didn't know there was going to be a quiz, huh? Injustice. Yeah, injustice. Wanton luxury. Wasn't that a bit shocking? And, and it, they were, so they were, they were living in luxury while other, and a lot of times by the money that they got from oppression, right? So, yeah. They were oppressing the poor, crushing the need, needy while they live in luxury. Okay? Um, some of the other things... It, Let's, let's hear at least one more. Is there any, any more? Yes, forgetting who God is and what he's done for them. So there was an element of idolatry in there too, right? So there was, there was a kind of a, if we, if we separate them into two spheres, we would say, well, there's kind of a justice part, and then there's also an idolatry part. And Amos says those things are connected together. Um, let's, so it's in, they, they so he talked about that they hate honest judges, they trample the poor, they steal grain through taxes and unfair rent, they're, they're taking bribes. Uh, he says they're depriving people of justice in the courts. Um, there, was, uh, there was sexual sin, money sin. Actually, the sexual part, he talks way little, only like maybe one time. It's all about money, and it's about uh, uh, how people get treated in the courts and things like that. Um, he says, you people, you hate honest judges. Yikes. Uh, you trample the poor. Uh, and you uh, he says, what I want from you is to do what is good, run from evil. That's on page 10. Um, do what is good, run from evil, turn your courts into justice. So these, these two categories, all that injustice that's there. And then that injustice is, ends up getting linked to their idolatry. So after, uh, if, you, if you have your book, you can turn to page 8. It's on there. Um, he, this is in uh, um, Amos 4. And he says, there, there's this list of injustices that you kind of comfortable people have committed. And he, and he links those two with sacrificing to idols. So he says this. He says, um, <coughs> um, he says a bunch of different times. He says, go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. 
Offer sacrifices every morning and bring your tithes every three days. Present your bread made with yeast and an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do. Uh, and, you know, there's things that even for us culturally we, we don't get. He says, bring, this, bring your offering of bread mixed with yeast. They weren't supposed to bring bread with yeast. Yeast in, in this image is, is an idea of sin. So you, you're bringing your worship, but it's mixed up with sin. And, and you're going to these idols, and, and he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and so what he says on five different occasions, he says, return to me. Still you would not. In fact, the, the five times he says, you wouldn't return to me. I, I did all of these things so that you would come back, and you still you didn't come back to me. Still you didn't come back to me. Still you didn't come back to me. You weren't getting the message. And then in chapter 5, God says directly, he says it the other way. He says, now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. So the prophets are trying to say, hey, listen, it is unhealthy for you to turn away from God and go to idols. It would be better for your health long term if you chose to smoke two packs a day and only live on Costco hot dogs than if you were idolatrous because it ends up coming out in other ways in your life. Like the unhealth of worshiping idols or false gods ends up coming out in your life. Uh, you like sweat injustice out of your pores because this is what comes out of you. All right, so what are we supposed to do with this as an American church, uh, the message for us? So I have a, a couple of things that we're going to do. So first of all, Amos is going to warn us about our own idolatry because we don't realize that we're bad. <laughs> so even as believers in the church, you know, we can be like Judah and Israel in our failure to keep God's law, and we have sinful tendencies. We can act unmercifully, unjustly, and unlovingly toward other people, toward our neighbors. And kind of like them, we feel a lot of times we feel safe. We are rich on a global scale, even if you don't feel very rich, uh, I went house hunting yesterday. I did not feel very rich compared to some people. Um, uh, uh, we have oftentimes no concern for the hurting. I don't know if you are familiar with a TV show that came out in, uh, it ended a four-year run in 2020 called The Good Place. Um, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's about the afterlife. And in this afterlife, there is a good place and there is a bad place, okay? Uh, it is not a Christian portrayal of the kingdom of God. In fact, there, it seems like there's no God in the whole thing, which already should give you a clue that it's not really uh, a Christian presentation of heaven and hell. But it is by far one of the most interesting uh, shows about philosophical views of life that I've ever seen, maybe the only one ever. Uh, but they, you know, they discuss different philosophies in different episodes. It's really interesting. Uh, so while there might be a lot of things in the show that we would disagree with as Jesus followers, one of the interesting points that keeps coming up over and over again throughout the whole show is, uh, are these people good or bad? And what determines if someone is good or bad? I think it's a fascinating thing. And in one episode, we are introduced to this guy named Brent. Uh, there's a guy named Brent who is amazingly self-centered. 
fantastically, way over the top, unbelievably self-centered. He's verbally abusive. He's demeaning. He, he picks on people. He talks about himself all the time. He brags about his life and all the selfish accomplishments that he's done. He treats people with contempt. And oftentimes, it's, he partly just does it because he has no space in his brain for anybody else besides Brent. He can only think about, about him. And Everybody around him, you included as you're watching, knows that Brent is a bad person. And the only person in the entire show, the entire world, who does not know that Brent is a bad person is Brent. What is interesting is that Brent thinks he is a good person. In fact, he says it over and over again. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. He jokes about, I, believe, I belong in the best place, not the good place. Yeah. So shows like this, The Good Place, they offer really great discussion points for us with our friends to be able to talk about what really matters. Uh, I think is a fascinating thing for us to think about. So it's easy for us to label this guy Brent as a bad person, and uh, so he doesn't see it. So it's easy for us to say he is definitely in the category of bad. But where is the line? I think it's a, a fascinating question to be able to talk about with your friends. And I think if you were to ask kind of the average person in the world today, whether they, where the line between good and bad is, I think they would put, wherever they put the line, they put themselves on the good side, right? Wherever that line is, whatever the reason is, they are on the good side. They might not be able to articulate exactly why or when or where and all that kind of stuff, but of course, they are on the good side. But if we look around the world and we see how things are going, we know that that can't be the case that everybody is on the good side. We know that it's not like that. There's too much injustice and jealousy and anger and, and just mixed up everything. We know that they're not on the good side. And, and the good side isn't just outside of the Washington Beltway. We don't just say they are the bad, we are the good. That's not where we draw the line, okay? So there is good and bad. Um, so we know that it is. So oftentimes, I'll tell you what, when we're the ones who are benefiting from a situation, we tend to say that that, that is a we're happy to let it continue, and that's what happened with Israel. But oftentimes there are circumstances that come and interrupt the steady flow of our life, and, and it's upsetting to us, and we say, God, why don't you act? Why don't you do this thing? Why don't you do something for me? Why are you neglecting me? And, and what's nice is, in the, in the midst of a, a world that has good and bad, Amos speaks there, and he says, God does care. God does care. God does see. God knows that there's injustice. He might act more slowly than we want, but injustice will be punished. But the book of Amos also calls for us to wake up and notice the evil that is present in our lives and not be blind to it anymore. And, and that kind of language, it, it doesn't just in the Old Testament where God calls for us the, to do those kind of things. Romans 1.18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their weak, wickedness. So if you have ever been kind of embarrassed by uh, how God speaks through the prophets as if this is an angry God who's here, and then there's like a loving God in the New Testament. Sometimes we can feel like that. It's helpful for us to, to, to actually come to grips with why God is angry here. And it's not just something that belongs just in the Old Testament. We just read that God's wrath is being revealed against this. God's wrath is being poured out against injustice, against cold-heartedness. And, and actually, in that way, God's wrath isn't different from his love. 
And, and you have actually experienced that yourself. You have seen the love of a parent turn into wrath when their child is, is, is something dangerous for them or it, it, that is, is stopping them in their path. Is, is somebody is trying to, uh, to attack your child. You have seen the, it's actually the very act of love that causes you to act out and speak on their behalf. So that's what God is doing. God, in his wrath, is actually speaking out. It's actually the same. It's not different from love. It actually is an outpouring of love. And if we're surprised by that, if we're surprised that God would ever act in that way, and if we're surprised that God would ever have a complaint against us, me, us, then maybe, kind of like Brent, sometimes we think that we're pretty much good people. What that means is that sometimes we don't think we always need a savior. All right, that's the first one. So we need, in, in this, we need to recognize that God is warning us about our own idolatry. We don't realize that we're bad. And Amos, he then tells us, too, that he warns us not to separate our spirituality from the way that we act. So our, our spirituality is not supposed to be different than the way that we act. And specifically, this is, and uncomfortably, the way that we act and toward people who are defenseless. He, he tells us, hey, the first place of brokenness and sinfulness is our separation from God. We have, we've turned away from God's goodness to things that are less, to things that are less than God, things that are not God, and therefore those things are idols. And he ends up drawing a direct line between making something other than God our ultimate end, and then our, if we've made something else our, our ultimate end, he draws a line between that and our capacity then to use people as objects to get to that end. He says those two things can't be separated. If, if, if everything is ordered in the right way, if God is on top, and if, and if we love people, then we're actually going to naturally act with a bit more justice. So if we see injustice and if we're okay with it, it means that we're having some of a, somewhat of a disordered view of the cosmos, and, and God is not actually on the throne of our lives. Ouch. So that's, I, he is saying if we see, we can, we can either see it from one of two ways. You can either see that idolatry is the actual thing that's going on, but the injustice is like a symptom of that greater problem. And so it, it actually isn't useful for us. Well, hang on, hang on. Don't get ahead of yourself, Kurt. Okay, chill out. All right. So we need to get at all these things. Idolatry is, it can be literally worshiping a statue, right? But we know that idolatry can be more likely for us the kinds of things that Amos is accusing people of too, of being greedy, of being selfish, of seeking comfort. And all of that is showing that there's a disorder in the, the way that we worship things. In order to get at our comfort and, our, and to say our greed, to feel like we're the most important things, then we have to... We, have to be, we end up being willing to, to treat people as objects, to get our food and the comfort and the technology that we desire. And I, um, I realize that in the, my protected American shell of Christianity, I can separate my spirituality from my actions and the way I live my life. But the beginning of the end of idolatry is to stop making God in the image that we want him to be, to, to welcome him as he has revealed himself. And he revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the true king of Israel, the representative for Israel, truly Israel himself, it calls him. He is the true Israel. 
And if we follow Amos, if we care about things in the right order that we're supposed to, if we worship Christ first, we love our neighbor and put things in this world down below those things, uh, then I think it's going to change our view of injustice and oppression. I think that in the light of Amos, it's interesting. I think it will change the way that we consume things because of who Jesus is. And I, I would be interested to hear how you work out. What does that mean from Amos? What does that mean for our lifestyle? I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but it's true that if we, if we really do put Christ first, it's going to change the order of the things that are really important to us. And maybe it will mean that we don't care about some things as we did before. We, we're going to start acting more like Christ who did care about people in the margins. I, I, this is not very comfortable for me to think about what Amos might be saying about me. Because I, I don't know if I always care about people who are cast aside. And, so, and Amos is telling me I'm supposed to. That that's the way that God cares. So what am I going to do about that? All right. Thirdly, Amos tells us that if we cry out to God, well, actually, he tells us that we should cry out to God. God is saying, return to me. So what are we going to do? Are we going to return to him? We're going to need to admit that we need help. And, and this uncomfortable truth as we read the book of Amos is that we need to have the courage to recognize that God's finger is actually pointing at us. And it's God is warning for us that we need to return to him. All right, I, usually we read a longer passage of scripture earlier on in our, in our sermon. Our sermon, isn't that gracious? Yeah, in my sermon. Um, um, but I, I put this at the end because sometimes Amos is actually pretty easy to understand. We don't need to explain a lot. We just kind of need to do it, and it's kind of terrible. So this is Amos 8, 4 to 10. Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. You mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Kind of build up the weight a little. You enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. Now the Lord has sworn this oath by his own name, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things you have done. The earth will tremble for your deeds and everyone will mourn. And the ground will rise like the Nile River at flood time. It will heave up, then sink again. In that day, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. I will turn your celebrations into times of mourning and your singing into weeping. You will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads and show your sorrow as if your only son had died. How very bitter that day will be. Amos is warning his audience. He's like, hey, if you, if you're, you need to count on, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And God won't leave people unpunished. Just like how the people of Egypt could see the Nile rise and, and go down, they can count on it. You and I, we can count on that God will rise up. There will be this uh, trembling of the earth, and, and they're not going to be spared. And it, it did actually come upon this northern kingdom of Israel before the kingdom of Judah. They were invaded by the Assyrian army. And people were carried off into exile, and it was terrible. It was a day of weeping, and it was terribly bitter, and they're being warned about that by Amos. It's interesting. 
because kind of improbably, given the first uh, eight and a half chapters of Amos, it does end with a note of promise. He says, yes, he's going to shake Israel just like every other nation, but God promises to raise up David's house. This is on page 16 near the bottom. It's Amos 9, 11, if you have your Bible. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. So the way that God can allow for there to be some injustice in the world and yet still forgive it, even me included, us included, how can God, this is the big question in the universe, how can there be injustice? So how can God be just and merciful at the same time? They feel like they're in conflict. But the way that he did it is wrapped up in this restoring of the house of David, this great king, because Jesus Christ is actually a descendant of David. And the Gospels make it clear that he is the one who is the perfect king, a king who would see injustice and do something about it. And if you've ever wondered why God doesn't do something about something in unjust that you see, you can read more stories about Christ because God did do something about it. And, and there, just in, we read this in Amos 8, 9. It was a day of darkness. But then later on, through Christ, we can also see that there's another interpretation that we can see this, that God has, like, like what Jay talked about a moment ago, turned something dark into something good. Because he says, In that day, says the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. For them, it was partly about the judgment. But now, there was another day when it went dark at midday. And it wasn't because an army was coming. It was because Christ was on the cross, winning our salvation, bringing ultimate justice. He faced injustice on our behalf to win our salvation, to win salvation for the world. Because the reality is that we have been among those who have turned away from God, and we've continued to live our spirituality separate from our actions and done it in selfish ways. But Christ, in Christ, God gave selflessly for us, gave completely for us to win us back to him. So we can have real worship, not fake worship. We can, we can, he, we can live righteously through Christ. Because Christ, he wasn't, he wasn't pretentious, but he was genuine. He's the real thing. He's the antidote to idolatry. That we would be people who enter in to him. So what are we supposed to do with this? Uh, I think rather than spending all of our energy trying to prove to everyone that you are a good person, I think we can recognize and lament that as individuals, as a church, as a society, that there are things that are broken, that we have veered from God's way. But there is a solution. It doesn't, we're not hopeless. We're hopeful. We, we plant trees. We know that there is hope because in Christ there is hope. So what, the question is, what's God asking you to care about? So here's what I would love for you to introduce into your prayers this week. This week, ask God this. What do I need to care about because Christ is king? Because if, if Christ is king, maybe that's upsetting the order of things in my life. It, what do I need to care about more because Christ is king? Maybe what do I need to care about less is included in that. But what do I need to care about more because Christ is king? A lot of, one of the ways that a lot of... Uh, People who are not people of faith discredit 
Christians in general, they say the church is full of hypocrites. And I think um, rather than trying to fight it, I think we should just say, yep. But you know what? We all are. So we can, we can agree that God, loving God doesn't always result in us loving our neighbor, and it should. And I need God's forgiveness for that. We can just admit that too often we've put on a show. God wants to end the show. He says that in Amos 5, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. So maybe we just need to admit to our friends that that's true, and maybe that's the first thing that will help unlock some faith for them. I think, I think that that is going to bear fruit. And I, I hope that it will be really meaningful for you as we read through the book of Prophets. It's going to be interesting. Not everybody's going to punch quite as hard as Amos does, uh, but it's going to be an amazing journey, and I hope that you'll come along with us as we do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that here in Amos comes to us from a, a long time back. But it's still relevant for us today because people are still people. And because we don't put you on the throne, we end up treating people like they don't matter. So help us to rightly order our lives, to put Christ as king, the one who gave himself for me. May we live in the light of our humble king who loves us so much and loves others too, even on the margins. We pray in Christ's name, amen.